Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 25 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. The Don Juan of Poker. And I'm here with my congenial co-host, former market maker of 20 years, market profile advocator and White Castle enthusiast, a former bouncer who's obtained more knowledge of club life than the Batabi brothers, <laughs> a.k.a. J.J. Watt because of his reverence in Texas. I'm talking about <laughs> J.J. J.J., how's it going? Good, Ray. How you doing? Man, you had some, had some good caffeine for that one. Boy. Uh, you know, you know my style. And our guest today is a 20-year Wall Street veteran with extensive experience in relationships in Asia, entrepreneur, fintech angel investor, and now a nonprofit founder. Hailing from the boogie down Bronx, I'm talking about Troy Prince. Troy, how's it going? It's going, it's going. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Oh, well, my pleasure. Yeah, you know, uh, you know my partner here, he saw your appearance on CNBC and it was like, it may be great to have him on. So excellent that you came on. So how, so how does a guy from the BX get into finance? Uh, so yeah, I, um, about the age of 16, um, is actually by accident, a social studies class, um, five extra points in your final grade for whoever picks the best performing stock over the year. Uh-huh. I had, no, I, I'd love to say I, you know, it was, me at 16 doing deep quantum mental uh, research, <laughs> but nothing of the sort. I, I picked Johnny John. Um, and I really don't remember even why I picked. I probably, you know, had a cut and just happened to have a bandaid on my arm or something that day. And uh, lo and behold, end of the year, five extra points. That's pretty cool. But it also coincided with, um, I forget what year it was published, but I read uh, Jack Schwager's book, Market Wizards. Oh, yeah. And I think that was maybe 88, right around my junior, senior year. And once I read Market Wizards, I knew exactly what I wanted to do and what my life would be like. Yeah, wow. Wow, so just uh, by chance. So uh, I just want to ask you, you know, I, I love, you know, I'm originally from New York. I didn't grow up there, but I love New York City, the culture, et cetera. What was it like uh, for you growing up in the Bronx? Uh, let's say interesting. Mm-hmm, um, sure. You know, it it was really the boogie down. You know, I'm born '71, and uh, it's the era of of um, Fort Apache just coming out of the Bronx is burning. Um, <laughs> yeah. At the same time, there's all this creativity. I mean, you know, it is actually you know the home of 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 yep, the birthplace of, uh, of hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I remember that. I remember the block parties and to the degree that it informed sort of my story, because at the same time, you have one narrative, and one reality. But at the same time, you know, through this art form being expressed um, and through the creativity, I also always knew and had a sense that there's something else, uh, something else going on here. So, yeah, you know, the typical story and, and, and you know, um, the, the typical narrative, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you could tell, I mean, Bronx, it's a different era, but yet it's still the same um, borough that produced uh, Mario Gobelli and Leon Cooperman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Speaking of uh, hip hop, do you have any, uh, any favorites? Oh boy, uh, that would depend on where the majority of your, your, your listeners are, I would say. Um, uh- 
Um, I mean, personally, mm-hmm. personally I've got to yep. go with East Coast. I've, I've got to go with Biggie, of course. Yep. But I've lived in Cali, and I'll definitely show love to Tupac, you know, old school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm 48, so I, I guess old school is still what's, what's on my mind. Some of I don't listen to uh, as much of the new stuff as, as I could or should, but I would have to say Biggie, but that's definitely not to sort of um, not show love to any of the West Coast stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no. Uh, new York hip-hop personally is my favorite. Um, I was thinking from the Bronx, who I, oh, uh, Big Pun, are you familiar with him? Of course, man. Come yeah. on. I mean, <laughs> I'm just making his, sure. <laughs> no, come on, man. Like, you know, his boy Fat Joe, like literally yeah. the whole area of um, – the South Bronx, so I, I, my area wasn't exactly at South Bronx. I lived pretty much on the border. I could walk 10 minutes literally to the South Bronx border where, where Fat Joe and his the project in the area where he hung out. Like, I had cousins there, so uh-huh. come on, man. Big pun <laughs> equals almost Fat Joe. Like, yeah, just, yeah. Um, that's the story. He's always showing him love to this day. Yeah, no, he, he sure has, man. Yeah, no, uh, now Fat Joe's in my neck of the woods down here in uh, Florida. I'm pretty sure he's residing mm-hmm. in Miami, but... um. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, moving on. So tell us a little bit about your uh, trading career uh, thus far. You know, I saw you spent time in Asia, Eva, Madrid, Paris, um, et cetera. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So kind of take us, you know, your beginning and then, uh, you know, your career trajectory. So let's see. So, yeah, by 17, I was cold calling at Shears and Lehman. Uh, my first exposure to the market, first exposure to retail, and I realized very quickly that was not for me. <laughs> I was uh, open up, uh, you know, I, I was in the corner of some broker's office calling Beverly Hills Club llama owners and, and, and stuff like that. And that, um, you know, get them on the line, hand the phone off. And I was just like, wow, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, that's what first got me out there. And by 18, um, I was in operations at Salmon Brothers. It's, uh, you know, for the younger listeners out there, it's the old precursor version of what became Citibank after maybe five mergers. And uh, so I I worked part-time at Solomon while going to school, NYU Stern. Uh, Knew I wanted to go to Japan because this is late 80s at the time where Japan was the monster of the day. You know, they had just bought Rockefeller Center, Pebble Beach in California. Oh, yeah. The Mm -hmm. chairman of Sony put out that book, the Japan that could say, no, we're going to gobble up the world, you know, Godzilla. And so I took a summer trip, sophomore year to Tokyo, um, fell in love with the girls. I was like, I'm definitely coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty pretty much. And so by the time I graduated, I was on a plane like literally two weeks later. And so fast forward, uh, I was a uh, controller slash trading assistant at First Boston now known as Credit Suisse. So I I covered uh, index, index arbitrage when that was a brand new product, brand new thing. Um, arbitrage between uh, Nikkei Index and, 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 and Cash. Yep. Um, fast forward another year and a half, not quite two years, back to Solomon. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, the old school, the, the older uh, traders in the room would, would recognize Solomon and, and block trading um, from the time of being on the floor of the stock exchange. Um, I was on a U.S. listed equity desk. Got it. For two years, well, and this is back. Yep, sorry. And of course, liars poker. I mean, the reason why I became yeah, right yeah. on, right on. Right. Gut friend, yeah. smoking cigar, paper trading, <laughs> the whole story, the whole story. <laughs> and uh, you know, so I, I, it gave me a good introduction. I've done a few things. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure how much time you want to spend spend on it because I've just been I've been at a lot of shops, a lot of premier shops, mm-hmm. buy side, sell side, and uh, it's always just been an incredible journey. 
what the markets offered to me, um, the exposure, and it's it's pretty much has informed what I do now in terms of giving back, giving giving back through through this love of the markets. Right, right, right. So. Um, sorry if I, if I missed it in that, you know, I'm part of my ignorance. I am a little bit newer to trading, but you, you said you traded equities. Did you trade, um, other, any other like assets, commodities, et cetera? Uh, futures. Uh, I traded a little bit of currencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I traded Japanese converts when I was in Tokyo. Um, but equities by far the majority, some futures converts. And a uh, little bit of FX, but only mostly around hedging, hedging out equity, equity stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Uh, and now, present day, are, do you do you still do any trading or of like course, personal of course, account? Of yeah. Course. Oh, yeah, nice. Of course, nice. Man, of, of course, got to keep up the chops. Not as active as I'd like to be or as I used to be. Um, quite frankly, I'm having a hard time just sort of. Uh, you know, putting on new positions here is is really tough. I miss a, a lot of this last leg up because I'm just like, you know, nosebleed. But um, yeah. so I'm, I'm very, I'm very, I'm very tactical, and my worst nature wants to start shorting into this market. But you know, I I, yeah. I know better, especially when I'm supposed to be a teacher of traders. So I, I just, uh, that's funny. So I'm very, I, I, I am not as active as as, as I want to be, but I'm actually sort of just uh, waiting for the science because if I look at the market, I mean, we can get into at some other point, but just valuation, I think a little bit wacky. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, they, they do let, they do let us short for two days. They go, okay, you guys can sell, you know, out of the month, you can sell for two days and then that's it. You're done. Just get, get in the window, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a little bit crazy. And I guess, you know, everyone has their own pain tolerance or, or however they trade tactically, but you know, don't fight the Fed as a truism. So oh, I am. I'm not, I'm not as active as I'd like to be, but I, I just can't. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. So that's that's the story. Yeah. <laughs> so so Troy, um, maybe you can speak to your maybe how you started off, like your trading strategy or your methods, and how it's evolved with time. Uh, let's see. So yeah, it was. I've always been. You know, I would call the traditional. Uh, discretionary trader. Um, I um, again tactically for entry and exits and and, and um, targets very very technical. So I, I would you know so I, I heavily look at technical analysis, but that's once you know it, within the context of what the fundamental story is, mm-hmm. what the market environment is, what the mm-hmm. economic environment. Is, sentiment, et cetera. Um, and then only recently am I adding some small, I wouldn't even call it quant, but let's say quantitative um, filtering of what names I should be looking at. But generally it's by far going to be mostly uh, discretionary, um, lots of technical analysis. And um, yeah, that's pretty much been, it. I mean, because I've been a lot of my career has been abroad, I, I tend to, to uh, look at a more, global macro level, uh, more mm-hmm. so than individual U.S. stocks. So I trade a lot of ETFs. You know, the book I ran prop was by far mostly ETFs, so, you know, uh, essentially creating a global macro book. Um, but pretty much, you know, if it moves, I feel like I can trade it. And I'm constantly just trying to learn and refine, learn, refine. Because at the end of the day, you know, I think the data shows that we men, we overtrade. We probably spend too much time on our entry to exit points where – the real trick is 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 um, self management and and managing your downside. 
Mm-hmm. Right, right. And you, you, uh, you mentioned you're incorporating some like uh, quant analysis. Um, you know, the, the previous podcast we had a guy who built trading models <clears throat> or builds trading models. Um, can you speak to like what exactly you're like adding into it or like? Well, again, I, I'm, I'm no quant, but, you know, it, it's occurred to me that, you know, with, it's important to know within what context or what environment, you know, we're in, in terms of mm-hmm. what sectors over time, uh, what industries tend to do what. And that's only having sort of that data behind you, you know, whatever, however your methodology is, it just gives you an edge to help filter what names, what areas where you should be looking. And so, for example, I, I love a new product out there called Coifin. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, I, I would recommend to everyone it's free. Just check out Coifin.com, K-O-I-F-I-N. Just gives you sort of a quick look at just all market sectors over time, mm-hmm. correlations, um, lots of correlation stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, one of the things I started looking at after working at BGI, what was then the world's largest quant shop, now BlackRock, was Mm -hmm. this idea of factor investing, factor models. And, um, you know, there's a lot of conversation about, you know, if they really work and and a lot of data and science behind them. But at the end of the day, it's important to know at least at a minimum what others out there are looking at and what's sort of driving the models and driving the returns. But You know, even then, for me, it mostly just comes down to knowing, using the data to give me a sense of where I should be looking, um, and then on a broader sense, you know, what 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 others are doing, what others are looking at. Because at the end of the day, man, all, all the factor modeling aside, you know, most of the data shows that P- the PE is pretty much the only thing that, that on a longer term basis um, actually has any predictive value. But again, I'm sure you might have listeners that will argue against that. So, uh, you know, I defer to the special to the, to the professionals on that, but again, it's mostly about just context. Yeah. So were yeah. you at BlackRock, uh, like before BlackRock? Before the merger, BGI. Oh, um, okay. Okay. So did yeah, you, got, yeah. okay. Were you at first Boston when Larry Fink was there or was that before your time? Uh, Larry Fink, remind me what years I was there 92, 93 in Tokyo. Oh, okay. It might've been later, uh, earlier he yeah. was there cause he's an older guy. So just, just curious if uh, you've ever met him. Yeah, no. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's crazy old school at the time. Actually, you, you gentlemen would probably both know the name Bob Diamond. Bob Diamond was the head of yep. the office uh, when okay. I was there. Oh, okay. um, Interesting. That, that's how far back it goes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Bob oh. Diamond for, for your listeners who probably all know, but Bob Diamond was the, the recent, uh, the last, uh, CEO chairman of, of Barclays. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Wow, man, you've had a great, uh, you've been around some pretty great shops. Pretty amazing. No, I appreciate it, man. Just, uh, yeah. who knows? It's, it's me probably just being, uh, not being able to sit still. <laughs> <laughs> so how did, so Troy, how, how did you, um, enjoy your time overseas? I mean, uh, had to be interesting. Uh, you were relatively young out of the Bronx. What was it like? Any funny stories? Funny stories. Okay, let's see. So the first time I visited in Tokyo, um, sophomore year in college, just to check the place out. So, you know, like any movies or any scenes of, of Japan, you always, you know, a frequent one that you see is the one of this large pedestrian crossing that has this all the people crossing from different um, yeah, angles. Right, right. It's just like that's, that's in uh, an area of Tokyo called Shibuya. It's like it's the most famous sort of crossing. And so I'm standing there. And I swear, I kid you not, 
uh, I had some old ladies that approached me. I don't really speak Japanese at this point, but they were motioning. They, they just want to touch my hair. And, um, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, 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 I kid you not. Um, and they just want to touch my hair. And I'm like, okay, that's weird, but okay. Uh, um, fast forward again. You know, the funny story is always the ones that are abroad. Uh, land in Tokyo, my first interview. I walk into a regular Japanese barbershop. They look at me like, you know, I got three heads. <laughs> <laughs> and literally, like, with a fro, they're like, you know, I could see that in their minds, just like, you know, WTF, we're supposed to do with this. Right. And right. I, I, I swear the guy ended up, like, literally putting a bowl on my head and cutting around with scissors. It was ridiculous. <laughs> wow. Wow. But I'm yeah. sure if I, you know, I, it's, I, there are a bunch of other sort of silly, if not raunchy stories to come up with, but those are the first two that come to mind. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. I, I, uh, I've heard from people that the Japanese, like as a culture, they're very warm, friendly people. Is, is that true from your experience? For sure, for sure, for sure. I, I live with a family that, that took me and didn't know me. Um, oh. For sure, for sure, for sure. Cool, cool, cool. So uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about your uh, your nonprofit, Wall Street Bound. So where did where did this come from? Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, Wall Street Bound. So it's a, that's an idea I've had for probably 15, 17 years. Um, and again, back to the Bronx story, it was the idea of, you know, me growing up in the Bronx, friends, family, neighbors, um, I just, you know, just smart young people around me, but who might not have had the same exposure I had due to different parents, I had cousins mm-hmm. in the projects. Um, but, you know, some of these kids, uh, you can just tell, you can feel it. There was just real IQ power there or, or mm-hmm. get in front of Monopoly. And I don't care where you're from, Hamptons or Greenwich, these kids will kill everybody in sight. Mm-hmm. And so that always stuck with me, being on Wall Street, being particularly in front office areas, front office roles, where I'm just like, you know, that's weird. It's like one brown person, one black guy, and like maybe one one girl. Like, what's what's happening here? Mm-hmm. And um, so that's you know that happened enough times. Where it's just like something is missing. I mean, the Bronx where I grew up. You know, I googled it last week. My address is 12 miles from the New York Stock Exchange, where you know where I clerk. It's just like Mm-hmm. Human shock that in an hour, but yet they might as well be different from Earth and the Moon or Mars. Like, why is that? So I always had this idea that at some point, um, as a charitable thing, once I hit a certain number, I'm making air brackets, but I certainly haven't hit that number yet, um, that I would create a program that would intentionally try to, to bridge these two worlds because just my love of the markets and bringing that exposure and just what it can do for the, for these young people, young students as people, the community, and just the exposure to marketing. We all know the, the benefit and the beauty of just sort of having this, this new sort of take on life and view of the world. So I moved back from Vietnam about a year ago. And uh, as I said, I turned 48. I'm like, you know, Troy, if not now, when? So I've spent the last eight or nine months trying to get this thing off the ground where I'm, um, connecting with uh, community colleges, colleges, firms on Wall Street, and creating a program to uh, provide hard skills, finance training, also soft skills, mentoring, resume building, interview skills, to try to create intentionally this pipeline to connect this talent, which is out there IQ-wise, but not necessarily might not have the connections or the social capital to, 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 to know when an interview at Goldman is, and much less to have the skills to get to that door. Exactly. 
Do you, uh, um, are, are you teaching a, a lot of coding sort of skills now? Because that seems to be the more, um, you know, um, popular thing, I guess, and, and more, you know, uh, trend, you know, like the trend, trend things. Yeah. yeah. Where the jobs indeed, are. Indeed. Yeah. So I'm not, so we launched our, our pilot over the summer, um, and I speak to, Python and the coding aspect, because that's not my background. What we've decided to do is to partner with nonprofits like mine, but that are focused on coding and creating oh, developers. Oh, nice. And nice. So what we're doing and the plan together is to work with the uh, nonprofits that focus on the coding aspect and have students go through their program, go through my program on the financial side, and at the end, have young young people from wherever they come from uh, building algos and then introducing the algos and those young people to the markets. And so it's either a track where they introduce the firms or we try to get uh, the algos actually some capital behind them. Oh, nice. Nice. What, uh, what's the response been from, from the street uh, when you go and talk to uh, firms? Um, what is, are they, you know, uh, happy to see, I mean, are they into this or how's it kind of going? Well, it's interesting because on one level, you know, the environment we're in, um, you, you are hearing a lot more conversation around uh, DNI, what, what they call diversity inclusion. Um, and so on a certain level, on, on a C, C level, HR level, they totally get it. Um, and there's demand for it because, I mean, listen, it's at the point where, you know, I have to quote a McKenzie studies on the benefits of diversity to bottom lines. Um, so on some level they get it, but at the end of the day, the reality is, let's say on a desk level, you know, you know, and I totally get it. You know, guys, if you're just some guy, just you know, normal American guy from wherever, just living your life, it's not you're necessarily walking to the office, oh, you know, demanding to sit next to Tyrone. It's just not what it is. So, to the degrees that just corporate level buy-in, absolutely they get it but on the desk level it's not always sort of it's a hard sell to some degree because yeah at the end of the day guys just like i just want to work with the best person and i don't right. care what they look like and you know i get that too. Yeah. That, that's that's, yeah. that's real so yeah, um it's a matter of of, of 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 where there is appetite and where there's willingness because my pitch is you know it's not color it's not zip code it's just simply i'm trying to accelerate talent wherever it may be exactly and just so it just so happens to be that wall street generally is not you know, recruiting from, let's say, community colleges in New York. No, you no. might have, like, kids smart as a whip. And, and why oh, yeah. You know, I, I find that some of the most intel, like, you know, street smart guys that I've met who were traders, you know, they barely even finished high school, you know. But, you know, they'll trade 10 million shares around you and you won't even know it. Um, that's right. You know, and uh, so that that's one thing I've always found. And uh, no, it's... You know, it's uh, so I'd, I'd always, I, you know, I think for me, when I was hiring or if I was hiring, I'd always be, how hungry are they? You know, how bad do they want it? That's it. That's it. That's it. And, and we know that, you know, intrinsically or inherently, it's not the things you learn in school that make you a great trader or not. Yeah. Um, and so to that degree, this sort of focus on, on pedigree when we're in a, a, a um, how does one say performance-based business? It, 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 it's 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 
it's, it's difficult to understand. And so I'm just yeah. trying to bridge that, bridge that gap because if we are truly, as we know the markets are, markets don't care what zip code you're from. Exactly. You know, you're, you're right or you're wrong. Your P&L tells you and there's no yep. argument with that. Exactly. And that's, uh, I mean, I loved it. I mean, because I, I, I worked in the markets and, you know, being, being a Brown guy, I mean, I never, never experienced racism at all. You know, they never, they were like, what are your numbers? You know, yeah. it's like, that's all that mattered. You know, they, they, they didn't, they could care less, which I, that's I found right. that quite uh, refreshing. You that's know? right. That's right. That's the beauty. That's the beauty. Yeah. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm just trying to uh, spread awareness and, and, and bring this message, uh, whomever, wherever um, is, is willing to listen. So again, I thank you guys for having me. And it's just something that's, uh, it's good for us all. It's good for the markets. It's good for society. It's, it's good for just talent to just remember that, because you're not at an Ivy League, you know, the markets are still here for you because at the end of the day, it is still about your performance. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, Troy, Troy, let me ask you, how how are you gauging the success um, of this project or or are you even looking at things in those terms? Well, to the degree that we haven't fully launched a program yet, just based on on funding, um, the idea is uh, two two things because we have two separate tracks. One track is simply based on our ability to get our students internships and or full-time jobs. So that'll mm-hmm. just be strictly, are we able to place students, which is a combination of, again, the firms that sort of do get it, that do have the appetite or willingness to recruit because, you know, there's competition for talents out there. Um, and so my ability to, to basically get them in the door is one and the, the second track, which is the track that's focused on creating these algo and discretionary traders and investors, um, my main pitch is a value add to capital allocators, proprietary trading firms, et cetera, that I'm going to basically give you a risk-free look at uh, uh, traders, young traders uh, with live track records through our program, six months of live accounts. And it just comes down to, again, just what we just we spoke about is my ability to uh, create, uh, you know, traders that produce uh, risk-adjusted returns. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's those two different tracks with those two different benchmarks. Right. Awesome. Awesome. So so for the listeners out there, Troy, that um, want to help in some type of capacity with this project, uh, where do they go and how can they help? Well, thank you so much for that. So uh, to get a sense of what we're doing, please feel free to visit the website. That's Wall Street Bound, Wall Street Bound, like heading towards .org. Uh, take a quick read of, on, on our program. Certainly feel free to click the donate button that's on the homepage. And otherwise, we're always open for conversations with partners, educators, people willing to uh, advocate on our behalf. Certainly, any, any of your listeners that, that are in hiring positions um, on the buy side, on the sell side, uh, that are looking for interns, you know, we, we'd love to have that chat. Um, and of course, we, we, we're just always looking for financial support, but it, we're willing to have the chat with anyone who thinks they can add value because, you know, it's, um, there's a real need out there and um, it, the work only happens with, with the help of the community. So anyone who just sort of gets what I'm trying to do, um, certainly financial, but definitely partnerships are, are quite helpful particularly with, with um, the buy and sell side. Mm-hmm, for sure. Excellent. Excellent. So JJ and I would now like to take this time to give a shout out to our official sponsor, Traders Creed, the best collection of stock market t-shirts, apparel, and gifts out there. Perfect for traders at traderscreed.com. 
They provide quality products that are ethically sourced and incorporate humor and wit into each design. Imagine your favorite stock saying or impression on a nice shirt, mug, or bean bag. Check out the many designs at traderscreed.com. We'll have to get them to whip, uh, whip up some uh, Wall Street Bound t-shirts for you, Troy. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Cool. I appreciate that. By, by the way, would listeners have already uh, seen or known about my appearance on CNBC uh, two weeks ago? I uh, um, maybe. Well, we should put the link in. Um, on we Twitter. will. We will. We'll put the link on Twitter. I know. Um, the uh, the per Steve, who you corresponded with, who got you to, to come on the podcast, he um, he notifies people who the guests are beforehand. So he might have done that. Not sure. Um, super so cool, super cool. Yeah, yeah. So Troy, um, so the skills that you obtained in trading, have they translated to any other areas in your life? Of course, of course, man. So, um, you know, at the end, trading is about self mastery, mm, and um, yeah. you know, I, I I'm not embarrassed to say that um, you know I. I started looking and speaking with uh, trading psychologists and, 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 and therapists because it's all about just self-mastery. And I guess that's the first thing that comes to mind and probably the, the, the best thing um, in terms of just uh, self-awareness and, and, and awareness of how, you know, for example, it, it was hard for me to hear that price action is not the market per se, but it's actually just a reflection. And, and we still have these, filters in our own minds based on our own experiences uh-huh. and you know I, i'm i'm a candle candlestick guy and it's like no what do you mean i mean there's goes the high low and close like what are you talking about that it's the market <laughs> mm-hmm. no that's just in a, a interpretation of it a, a presentation of it and at the end of the day it's you know i guess us as traders us as humans it, it's constantly trying to be on that journey of uh seeing things as they are and that's regardless of its trading or life. You know, if a guy steps on your toe and uh, he doesn't say sorry, and how do you react to that? Is that based on him <laughs> realizing that? Or maybe he was just spacing out? Or and that's just yeah. all in your brain, you know, that has nothing to do with anything else, just like external stimuli from the market. Just how do you handle it? So the main journey, and it, which continues, of course, but what I try to bring to my own sort of life every day is just self-awareness and, and how that translates to uh, seeing things as they are and hopefully, you know, better uh, self-control and discipline. Right. Right. No, I, I love the way you put it. I like, you know, I, um, I'm a poker player and like, I, I wasn't able to get to a point to where I was able to live off of my winnings. Right. Until, mm-hmm. until I like, you, I got that self, I don't want to say I, I'm a, have my self mastery down pat, but and, and until I was to get the mental side of things, was I able to proceed and to become a professional? It wasn't the technical side, you know what I mean? So um, that's it. That's yeah. it. That's it. That's it. That's it. You know, I think Dr. Van K. Sarp and others out mm-hmm. there, you know, it, it, it doesn't get spoken about a lot, but at the end of the day, trading is probably what most people would say 80, 90% mental, but it's not the sexy thing that, that gets right. covered or spoken about or that you can really write books about. But at the uh, end of the day, that's really what it is. You know, it's, it's true. That's so true. And well, you, you worked in prop, right? So I noticed that, you know, I was from the institutional side of just, you know, I was like an order flow jockey. So we're just moving order flow back and forth, but the prop guys, um, you know, they're disciplined. You know, they're journaling, they're looking at structure, they're looking at all sorts of things. 
that you know i mean you can't come in to prop and and trade sloppy right whereas mm. you can you know when you, you know when you're moving order flow back and forth uh you know and you're just you know executing and you know working stuff it's it's a lot less mentally you know and it's other people's money too it's some clients block right that you're working mm-hmm. out in the market right but when you're trading prop it, you know it's it's so much more disciplined and i had no idea when I came over from institutional to retail and retail is, you know, the beginning of, you know, you know, it's like a prop thing because, you know, you have to be prepared. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that discipline I, I wasn't used to, you know, because we could be all out, you know, w- the market would close and we would just go to, we'd go to the bar. That's when the prop guys start doing research, right? <laughs> right you know, right, it's right, a completely right, different yeah. world. Yeah. No, I get it, man. And bear in mind, you know, I've, I've been on both sides, you know, buy side, sell side, prop agency flow. And yeah. again, you know, as, you know, as was just said, you know, it, it's a journey, you know, I, it's not like I'm definitely not there myself. And, you know, I definitely make silly mistakes at times. And I'm sitting here, my wife would pinch me and say, I have a few, many, too many pounds on me. And, and I, you know, <laughs> I, Part of me knows, like before dinner, uh, excuse me, before bedtime at ten o'clock, I should not have that scoop of ice cream. <laughs> you know, so, but I do, and I'm like, I want it. I'm forty. I can't have a damn scoop of ice cream. Yeah. So, so the trader me is like, bro, you know, you shouldn't do that. Put it yeah. down. Yeah. The other part of me is like, I want a damn scoop of ice cream. Yeah. So it's always the journey. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely is sort of a mindset that that you just you develop and. Um, right. You know, again, it's a, it's a blessing of the markets because if there's ever a mirror to really what's going on in your own brain, it's the markets. Next probably would be your your, your wife or something. But mm-hmm. you know, there, 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 there's whatever it's going on upstairs, it comes out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I um, I, I meant to ask you this before. I was going to ask you about your the the learning curve trading when you first got into the industry. I mean, what what were some of the um the struggles or the battles that you had to overcome? Oh boy. <laughs> Uh, where do we start? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, one thing is, you know, however you made your, you had your first few wins and trying to be diligent about not getting too stuck on whatever you did, whatever that was um, in terms of, you know, quote unquote, a winning formula. I guess that's one, just, you know, the idea of like, Having a methodology, but at the same time still being mentally flexible. Mm, right. That's and that's that that's, that's hard. Tough. That's hard. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's oh, hard. Yeah. That's hard. And that goes back to that you know to the thing I mentioned in terms of where um, quantitative, if not uh, data-centered filtering, in terms of ideas and and environments help. In terms of okay, we know that. Out of the last X number of years, presidential cycle, third year has done this. These are things I should be looking at, and when I should, you know, when to let your winners run, when to take off losers, et cetera. But still, at the same time, know when things have changed, and, and that's that, that that's that's hard. And for me, you know, I was always had a good feel. I was very very good at my discipline, mm-hmm. um, super su- super well disciplined. But at the same time, you know, I I, I had a tendency to. Um, to uh, take off my winners too soon um, and, and fighting through that um, has probably been my, my, you know, earlier on well, to still to some degree, cause I still make the mistakes is my, my, my biggest challenge of, of 
just knowing when to just sort of let go and, and not feel you, 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 you can control or force things. And that's always that sort of battle between like what's the market stimuli or what's just your brain telling you something silly. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, could you maybe share if, if you want, I know you mentioned you saw some psychologists, therapists, what was maybe one of the biggest takeaways um, that you took away that helped improve your uh, mindset in trading? Mm. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, probably, I guess one would be the same thing I just spoke of, same this thing. idea yeah. of flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess it's kind of knowing when to break the rules, but more, most importantly is me just knowing what my tendencies are. Right. Okay. And, and within, you know, cause listen, I'm very good and very disciplined about always having a game plan uh, before the day starts, you know, have my trades written out. When I put in an order, my stop goes in automatically with my target. Um, but at the same time, it's like only being aware of my tendencies through therapy. And, you know, because during the day, you're just not as objective as you are once the bell, the bell oh, rings. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so how do you sort of manage the noise and your mind telling you something and, and using that in the context, okay, is this real live information? Is this something new that has changed or is this noise? You only have sort of the, that composite of, of self-awareness that, look, you know, like, well, listen, I tend to do this when this happens. Chances are that's just the monkey talking in my brain. So, mm-hmm. you know, take mm-hmm. action or be, be, be aware. That's one. Um, and then, you know, there's a bunch of other things like, you know, Silly Freudian stuff back to childhood and daddy, blah, 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 blah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's for definitely a, a, another podcast. Yeah, with, we'll with save a, that one. With a couple of vodkas. <laughs> Troy, I got, I got to ask you, and, and this is something, um, you know, for, for the younger people out there who do listen to this, and I get a lot of people asking me, how do I get on a trade desk? How do I get in the industry? Uh, give the young people a couple of, you know, of, of what they should be doing, what they should be thinking, how they should be uh, grooming themselves to get ready. Right. Um, I guess a few things. Depends on age. I mean, let's say for me with my program, I'm focused on at the moment uh, college students. Uh, that's not to say high school students, of course, cannot be, be gearing themselves up for this. But to that age where you're, you're only a few years away from the job market, I would say um, – particularly college students, is do not underestimate under any circumstances the importance of your end of sophomore summer uh, job experience and same for your junior year. Because if you wait, you know, the Wall Street is recruiting from sophomore year. And for the jobs that are being offered full time, more than likely or not, they're coming from their pool of candidates they've been recruiting and grooming in sophomore year summer intern programs and so if you're trying to compete you just got out of school and don't have any any an experience uh, related to speak of uh assuming you get the interview the only thing a resume that you might have or to, to, to talk about is whatever you did in those two summers and if it's not finance you're putting yourself behind a curve just makes it more difficult as opposed to having that internship where you were in the game that's one um secondly would be you know simply of course Seeking out um, programs like mine, and, and there are in other states, and they're around in terms of trying to intentionally create what they call workforce 
training or workforce development where they will have formal pathways or access to firms. Um, and, and the rest is, you know, the thing that we, we can all be doing is just constant study, constant, you know, we've, in the age of YouTube and, and the internet. And um, so between definitely reading, uh, between definitely trying to take those summers seriously, and I would say the last thing is just don't be shy about getting on LinkedIn and reaching out because at the end of the day, all this stuff, Wall Street, my program, it's all about social capital, making connections and introductions. At the end of the day, you know, I just read a thing with CNBC this week, something like 80% of jobs aren't, are not advertised to the public. It's something yeah. 70% uh, hires are by personal recommendations. And so it's mm-hmm. all about building that network. So do not be afraid Link, LinkedIn, 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 LinkedIn. Don't be shy because at the end of the day, if you don't have that network or you're not from that background like I was, yeah. um, you know, I, I didn't have uncles that played golf with MDs. Exactly. Next, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The like, I, mean, thing is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got my first job on the street because I uh, did what Linda Rashke said to do in Market Wizards, too. She said, get it, go and get a job at a place that's near an exchange. And that way yeah. you'll get to meet people. And that's how I got in. I went and got a job with the federal government, which was right that's next right. to the exchange. And, you know. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. I, I forget you know? which, which market, which um, turtle class Linda was in. I feel like she's what, the first or second? I don't know if she was a turtle, but she was in the second volume, in the second Market Wizards book. Yes. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I, I feel like she was. But I do remember the story of, of the first turtle class. You know, it was totally... Random for your listeners out there, quick story, uh, famous Chicago trader in the late 80s, Richard Dennis, he bets a partner, two story, sort of like Trading Places, the movie with yeah. Eddie Murphy. <laughs> except, train, the, except the good version, they actually help right. somebody. That's right, that's right. <laughs> they, 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 they make a bet that, uh, you know, he can teach trading. They put out an ad in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, a thousand people applied, they whittle it down to 10 interviews, true, false questions. First class was just random guys, uh, I think there was a former jet pilot. Uh, there was a card player. There was a game developer. But I do remember even the first or second class, there was a gentleman, to your point, who was a security guard in the building where their office was. And he just happened to yeah. say hello to Richard every day. And somehow they struck up a conversation. Yeah. Next, you know, he was in the class. So I, 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 I totally hear that. And to your point, it's just how do you get close to the point where you, where you can have these relationships? And outside of, of, I don't know, bartending at the right bars, I would say <laughs> LinkedIn. LinkedIn, do, exactly. do not be shy about it. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah, good advice. Good advice. So, Troy, what's, and I, I'm going to wrap this up. I know you got to get going. Uh, what's a commonly held belief in finance or trading that you disagree with? Commonly, commonly held belief that I disagree with. Um, okay, I'll, I'll say, I'll put, uh, maybe I'll put two in the context of my program and what I'm trying to do, this idea of, of um, reaching out and exposing untapped talent. Uh, one would simply be this idea that um, pedigree, um, these other things really make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the degree that Wall Street still wants to recruit majority from, from, the, from the Ivy Leagues, et cetera, I, I think um, you know, that's what I'm working and I think the data shows and experience shows, for example, you know, 50 years ago, you know, you still had separate baseball leagues and you didn't have any pros, you know, in football and basketball and talent just can't be denied forever. Right. 
that's one in terms of actual trading. Um, I don't know. I think the data would show that we probably spend too much time on trade selection. Um, you know, I remember when I was at the quant shop BGI, there's something white paper done on the, uh, the dartboard portfolio and data showed if you close your eyes through darts at a, at a page of, of the <laughs> wall street journal to pick stocks, if you manage your downside, you, that could be a profitable portfolio. Oh, wow. interesting. And I remember that. Yeah. And that's true. It's just, you know, cause at the end of the day, it's binary, right? It's up mm. or down. Uh-huh. Um, it's risk management. And at the end of the day, it, it, it's, it's binary. And, mm. and so the idea that we spend a lot of times, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it as well. I just love going over my chart. I just, I just love it. <laughs> um, but really what it takes is probably less about that and more about just being delivered on, on risk management and, and self-control. So wow. I would say that, I would say that because it's probably less about sort of all the chart work, all the deep fundamentals. At the end of the day, you could have, you know, your, 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 your PhDs with a million degrees, but it's still buy or sell and we see your footprints. That's what, you know, we, we track the volume. Exactly. And if you're a large buyer, um, at some point, depending on, on the average daily volume, the stock's going to go up. And so we see that and we follow that. The rest is just, again, I think something else. So I, I would say misconception is sort of what it really takes in terms of, um, you know, just looking, just looking at how we get into trades probably, I would think, would, is, is something people can, can think about in terms of um, how they're spending their time and what they really think sort of um, helps the, the, the best outcome. Mm-hmm. Wow. No, that, thanks for sharing that, Troy, man. That, uh, that really, like, struck a chord with me. That's uh, it's really interesting, uh, the, uh, the emphasis on uh, the, uh, the risk management aspect, which, which we run into a lot of people don't, are probably the biggest problem, right, I would say, Jay, with the people we encounter? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. No, definitely. Um, I mean, yeah, like, what, what's the point of doing eight hours of research, flying drones over the Tesla parking lot <laughs> yeah. and get shaken out, you know, yeah. two days later? Right. Yeah, no, it's true. Right, yeah. right. Good stuff, good stuff. And uh, just, <clears throat> we're going to take a, uh, a second just to give another shout out to the podcast sponsor, Traders Creed, best collection of stock market t-shirts, apparel, gifts out there for that are perfect for traders. Check out me modeling a tank top. I've been working out. (laughs) (laughs) Lord knows he's been spending enough time at that gym. Oh man. Hey, I miss South Florida, Troy. You can't blame me, right? It's it's always warm down here. Uh, Sounds like you've had a double espresso, I think. (laughs) He's had a few. Uh, Man. (laughs) Yeah, got ease off of that. So anyway, so that concludes today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review it for us. If you're interested in learning market profile, if you're keen on trading a liquid market, if you got a small account, if you trade crude oil, if you trade equities, any of all that, come join JJ and I at microefutures.com. Troy, tell the listeners where they can find you and anything else you'd like them to know. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so we're still aware New York. New York-based uh, startup nonprofit. Again, uh, we're always willing to speak with every and anyone who's interested in supporting our mission of uh, accelerating, unleashing talent wherever it is. Uh, that's WallStreetBound.org, WallStreetBound.org, and uh, please come find us. And uh, we're looking for, always for places to uh, place our students as interns, 
and certainly looking for partners in the proprietary trading world. So thank you very much, and uh, you know we'll, we'll speak with everyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, JJ. Any part words? No, it was great to have you on, and I really, uh, you know, I really think this is a wonderful thing that you're doing. And uh, anything we can do to help, or uh, you know, come back again, and absolutely, yeah, yep. it's great. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's it's, it's been amazing. Yep. Thanks. Thanks All for right. coming on. And so, for Troy Prince, he's Kumar. I'm Harold. You guys stay safe. Use stops. <laughs> have a good night. Good night.